Welcome everyone to Discipleship Podcasts with the Bend International Church of Christ. I'm Joey Hungerford and I just want to introduce you to season eight of our podcast, which is the year 2023. And we're exploring a lot of real life theology this year, the Holy Spirit, uh, faithful faith, the grand meta narrative of the Bible, disciple making, and so much more. So I'm excited that you're here. I hope that you stay tuned. Please give us a review and share it with your friends. God bless. Last Sunday was Mother's Day, right? You guys recall, we just, uh, we kind of talked about two mothers, the mother of Ichabod and the mother of Emmanuel, because Ichabod meant God is not with us, no glory, but Emmanuel, and of course, Mary, mother of Jesus, means God is with us. And how did that connect to the gospel? Because it's a, a gospel of glory, that God is with us. And so when we think of a, a gospel verse, or sometimes we present the gospel, is we all have a problem with sin. And we reference Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, we just emphasized, well, hey, it's actually because, according to Romans 1, we made a glory exchange. We said, no, rather than God, I want to worship things built by human hands because we've fallen short of the glory. There's a glory deficiency because of our choices for self-rule. So yes, we have a problem with sin, but the gospel is much more about sharing in the glory of God and glorifying him than it is about just managing our sin. That's what we spoke about last time for why do we need good news? And of course, we've been defining the gospel as the good news of Jesus is the saving king. And I, I want to talk a minute more, perhaps, just about image bearing. We touched on image bearing last time with that idea of glory, that here and now we can be transformed from one degree of glory to another as children of God with his Holy Spirit. And that was God's original idea in creation, that we're made in his image to rule with him and rule over creation. That didn't work out because of our self-rule choices. And so when Jesus comes back, us together as the church can experience that full image bearing once again. So you, you hear the here and now in that, that even right now we can be conformed into his image. In fact, last time we pointed out in the Gospels, it says the disciples themselves began to believe when they witnessed the glory of Jesus. It can help our belief out, and it should even help out those around us. This isn't a self-seeking glory, and yes, it glorifies God, but this is something that should help to serve others. So I just wanted to briefly, by way of introduction, touch on that image of Christ a little more deeply, and then for the rest of our time today, we're going to talk about why is Jesus' kingship beneficial? Great, there's a new king in my life. <laughs> That may not be good news to everyone for different reasons. So you see here, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, yes, that's the text, says that the good news is the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Or 2 Thessalonians 2, 14, he called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the glory exchange that we had made. That's part of the gospel we're called to. For that glory. And again on the future side, another quick verse for 2 Timothy 2.12. It 
says this, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. And 1 John 3, 2, dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known, but what we know, <laughs> but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So there's that full image bearing, being fully actualized, fully realized in the end. And yet it also says there's an element that is now. We have this opportunity in the present kingdom age. That's a great opportunity right there for how Jesus' kingship is beneficial. So don't be discouraged. I point out that it's also a future thing because you, you may not be Jesus right now. <laughs> this is a process that takes some time. It takes a little bit of time to have image restoration. Without it, you end up with this broken creation, this uh, agonizing, groaning creation. You end up with broken mirrors. It takes some time. It's also a group process because we bear that image together as the church. It's a group process because we get to gospel one another. So don't be discouraged if you're not Jesus today, but do be encouraged that all of this glory and all of this power of the gospel enables you to take more steps in that direction. Amen, church. Now, as we're about to jump into gospel benefits, there is the gospel, and then there's benefits of the gospel, and there's responses to the gospel. So yes, we have this opportunity to be conformed into the image of his son and to be adopted into this, uh, the renewal of creation. That's something that we need as humanity. We have that opportunity, but that requires a gospel response, like faith, repentance, baptism. So those things are response, but not the gospel itself. Then there's gospel benefits, and that's everything else we're talking about in the sermon today. So don't only hear that and think, well, what am I going to get out of it? Awesome, benefits. <laughs> benefits to the package. These are benefits for for God himself, for, for God's sake, there are benefits for all of creation, if we steward it well. There are social benefits and political benefits. Uh, how is Jesus' kingship beneficial to the person on your left and the person on your right? To the neighbor down the street from you. Oh yeah, I, I, I know that Jesus is the king of that person. Uh, that, is that a benefit to that neighbor who realizes that Jesus is your king? So many gospel benefits that we can touch on, but we don't always remember it. And in fact, quite often, though it's the good news and should be encouraging, we get discouraged on a weekly basis, on a daily basis. So my main goal today is to encourage us, not just spell out or list out the benefits, but I hope you leave today encouraged by the gospel because we can so easily be discouraged throughout the week. The gospel has an intended purpose, so not benefit, not response, but purpose. I just wanted to mention it's an intended purpose. Romans 1.5 and Romans 16.26 states it pretty clearly as the obedience of faith of all the nations. That's part of this coming into the image of Christ. It says it this way, through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. Or in 1626, but now as the prophets foretold 
And as the eternal God has commanded, this message is made known to all Gentiles everywhere so that they too might believe and obey him. So that's a a purpose for intended response of faithful obedience and allegiance. All right, we can all take a, a big breath now. I got all of that review and theology and those quick references out of the way. I just, uh, I couldn't stop talking about that aspect of God's glory after last sermon. Now we begin to ponder the gospel benefits. And, and why even ask this question? There's actually a lot of people who debate over this. And they debate over definitions of the gospel. So how is Jesus' kingship beneficial. People debate over it because is it really good news? Is it really gospel that you have a new king in your life? John Piper, he, he doesn't like everything about this. He says this, Jesus's kingship is not good news. In fact, it is appalling news because it signals that judgment is coming. It is terrifying to a sinner who is guilty of treason and liable for execution. I think I get where he's coming from. I get what he's saying that Hey, if you have a new king, are you aligned with that king? (laughs) There is some uh, final judgment that's part of the gospel. So how is Jesus' kingship beneficial if final judgment is a part of it? Well, let's put ourselves in and... Okay, good. I'm skipping the slide, but it's a good slide to skip. (laughs) Put yourself in the context of 56 to like 68 or 70 AD. Nero is the king. (laughs) And what are his benefits if you're in the Roman Empire or if you are a Jew or if you're a Christian in the Roman Empire? So what's beneficial under Emperor Nero's reign? To step into the authors of the gospel and the authors of the New Testament, to step in their shoes, they are under this guy. Here's some highlights from the hallmark of his reign. He married five people. Three of them were women. Two of them were men. He had one of his wives killed in order to marry his friend's wife. He had his mother killed in a power struggle. When much of Rome burned, and historians dispute this, but some say he started the fire, many historians record that he blamed the Christians for starting the fire in the burning of Rome. And in almost every artwork you see, for some reason, he's always playing the lyre as Rome is burning. And whether that's historical or not, I'm not sure, but that's what that thing is. So he blames the Christians for starting the fire, and Christians are either ripped apart by dogs or crucified or put on stakes and burned alive to light Nero's gardens. So living under Nero during this time, and even... Peter and Paul themselves are beheaded and crucified under Emperor Nero. You can imagine how hearing, hey, this tyrant isn't the one who gets the ultimate victory. There's actually this guy, Jesus, who is going to sit on the throne, who's going to have the final victory. Imagine the good news of hearing that, the relief and the joy if you're a Christian living during this time. Yes, if you're a Christian during this time, you're facing all of those persecutions. But the final victory is Jesus. You know that he has proved and shown his love for you. And King Nero has not shown or proven his love for you. I think that's good news during that time. 
Fast forward to today. Maybe you have a favorite politician who's let you down. <laughs> Probably nothing like King Nero, but you can imagine the disillusionment. You vote for somebody and they don't follow through on their promises. You're disappointed with the current Caesar who's over you and their rule. Isn't it good news that Jesus is the one who has the ultimate victory? And that he has the power, the love, and the authority to actually deliver on his promises. The benefits that he spells out in his gospel. So it's against that backdrop of disappointment. I hope you all just felt like, oh yeah, I have been disappointed by a candidate before. <laughs> or against this backdrop of disappointment that they felt in the New Testament. It is a beautiful thing to know that Jesus is king. In his earthly ministry, we're talking about this Friday night with Anthony, Luke 4. Jesus said, this is what my ministry will look like there. And then his ministry ended up looking like it. In his earthly ministry, the kingdom looks like this. Renewal looks like this. Gospel benefits looked like this. The sick were made well. The dead were raised. The downtrodden were lifted up. The lost were found. And notice how all of those kingdom benefits, they aren't just privatized, personal, individual benefits, but they're actually things that benefit socially and benefit people around you, transform entire communities. That should happen where you see the gospel taking place. Again, not just salvation for one's own sake, but for humanity, for creation, and for God's own sake and his own glory. But everything around us should benefit. Uh, poverty relief could be experienced. Liberation from oppression, healing, even for those who don't pledge their allegiance to Jesus. They're going to experience these things, and they have throughout the history of the world experienced these things where the cross and the gospel is preached by Christians who live the gospel. And more on that next Sunday because we're talking about how to share the gospel you share it with words and deeds. They'll look like the same deeds Jesus did. So we don't want to misunderstand the gospel if we think it helps only those who have become Christians. Jesus' kingship is actually beneficial to more than just Christians. Here's a few ways the gospel does list out the benefits of that salvation, though. I hope this encourages. Reconciliation, peace, union, atonement, redemption, Becoming holy, enrichment, victory, triumph, exaltation, glory, rule, return from exile, rest, feasting, marriage, and life in the new Jerusalem. There's also adoption, right standing with God, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and eternal life has one more benefit to tack onto it. It's almost so long of a list that we forget what's on the list as benefits to Jesus' kingship. And honestly, for me, I think benefit number one is just that I don't have to have my self-rule anymore because that usually doesn't work out in my life. But Jesus' rule. We live in this world that's captive to sin and death and that's broken. Isn't it good news to see that kingdom transformation, that good news all around us? That's how his kingship can be beneficial. But sometimes, and for the remainder of our sermon, we're going to talk about what happens when we forget it and how we can be encouraged to 
recover it. Sometimes we have trouble gospeling ourselves and gospeling one another in this room and encouraging one another. And it's not as simple as, oh, you feel bad? Well, you know, good news, Jesus is king. Um, it's not an instant switch around like that every single time. And I don't think Paul ever wrote any of his New Testament letters and just said, well, you know, Jesus is king. He, he had to remind and gospel people what the benefits were, the benefits of his reign. All right, I think we can jump to another slide now. Stop looking at burning Rome. A few more. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1 the rest of the day because my favorite Bible verse is there. <laughs> and because it spells out so many gospel benefits. In fact, it spells out every spiritual blessing, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, that we can have when we receive and respond to his gospel. Every spiritual blessing. So in Ephesians chapter 1, which is written during the time of Emperor Nero, Paul spells out all these spiritual blessings that we can have. In verse 4, he chose us. Verse 5, he adopted us. Verse 6, he gave us free grace. Verse 7, he redeemed us. He brought us back. Verse 7, he forgave us. Verse 8, he lavished his grace on us. He taught us his will. He gave us salvation. He sealed us as his. He gave us his spirit. He promises us an inheritance. He made us his possession. But do you always remember and know those truths about yourself? Do you remind one another of every spiritual blessing? A few weeks ago, I was speaking with a couple disciples, even in this room, and asking each other, why isn't the gospel enough, you know? Why can't we just share the gospel? And like everyone will automatically be encouraged and go out and make disciples and um, just radically commit to every single thing. I think it's because our vision leaks, our, our heart, our compassion can leak. It's because we need reminded of these things. Gospel is enough and Jesus is enough. But man, we need to be reminded of him. We need to remember him. There's three attitudes that can make us forget these things. These things that should be at our, the core of our identity as followers of Jesus. So I'm gonna, I'll leave this slide up for a minute. Do pause and soak in these truths. Don't forget them. You don't have to memorize a list like this, but do meditate upon it. All of these are true, that we're chosen, that we're adopted. They should fuel our joy and our life. Sometimes we forget this reality. Three attitudes that can obscure our vision, obscure our vision and just beat us up as Christians. Week in and week out. I hear it all the time from Christians. I don't have any hope. I don't have any worth. And I don't have any power. And they rarely say it in those exact phrases, but to clean it up for the sermon, here's how you do hear it. Ask yourself, which of these attitudes might have been beating you up this week? I don't have any hope. I'm stuck in some unfortunate circumstance, and I can't move past some destructive habits. I keep falling into sin. I've been praying, but I don't think God has been answering. I've seen a lot of believers choked out by that. Or I don't have any worth. I don't feel like I really belong anywhere. I just don't feel like I have any friendships here. I'm not sure I have anything to contribute. I'm, I'm hurt by the past. I don't have much hope that I'll amount to anything in the future or that anything will change. Or I don't have any power. I've got a lot of problems, but there's nothing I can do to fix them. 
There are plenty of problems out there in the world, but I don't see myself having the ability to do much about it. I asked Anthony and Veronica earlier this week, what do you do when you have no power, no hope, no worth? And I think Veronica had the quick answer, you pray, which is exactly what Paul calls them to do in Ephesians chapter 1. But he has specific intended prayers in Ephesians chapter 1. And I would say, too, that we need to pray because we easily forget these blessings and we easily forget who we are in him. When we forget these things, we drift into sin, we drift into unbelief. That's why Paul spent so much time praying for his spiritual children. He knew that we forget these things. Ephesians 1, 15 through 17 says this. Slow slideshow today. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That's an awesome prayer right there. I just, I pray that this person would know God better. This disciple, this lost person, this family member. In particular, Paul prays and he continues that their eyes would be open to three ways which help us remember all of the benefits he just listed out in Ephesians chapter 1. First, that he would open our eyes to hope. In Ephesians 1 verse 18. Oh, now it's really going. It's catching up on all my clicks. <laughs> Give me back to Ephesians 1.18. He says, in Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Not hope in and of itself. We can have hope in many things. Hope in a career, hope in money, hope in high status. But ultimate hope that actually delivers through Jesus is a living hope, is a resurrection hope. You might just have to open your Bibles if my slide of Ephesians 1.18 doesn't work out for you there. <laughs> it's he who offers this ultimate hope for today, for tomorrow, for eternity. It's based on a reality that we know that because he lived, came into history, died on the cross, performed all of these miracles that 500 plus witnesses saw, and that's the gospel we preach today, we can have that same hope for our future. Psalms 42.5 says this. That's three slides ahead. But 42.5 says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I think that's David kind of gospeling himself right there. Hey, soul, what's going on? <laughs> hope, where are you? You know what? Let's praise God. Gospeling himself. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 through 8, Paul says it this way. We walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. Because he has faith in where they're going. According to future glory, future hope. The hope to which they've been called. To be with God one day. Opening our eyes to worth. Again, Ephesians 1.18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Now, I love this one because whose inheritance is he talking about? That's a question. I 
heard somebody say ours, and that's true. That's in Ephesians 1. He says that you have an inheritance. But he also says, and in this verse specifically, it says his inheritance. Jesus' inheritance, God's inheritance, his glorious inheritance. And it's not an inheritance just given to his holy people. It's the inheritance of his holy people. Even throughout the Old Testament, the Bible speaks of inheritance in both ways. There's our inheritance and God's inheritance. And God's inheritance is us as his children. So if you think you have no worth, remember that. He says, no, you're actually an inheritance which is something of value, which is something worthy. God inherits us. So if you think I don't have any worth, I'm not worth anything, please open your eyes to this. He says it is the riches of his glorious inheritance in us. If God had a refrigerator, your pictures would be on it, as his dearly loved children. You're his inheritance, you bring him joy, you make him smile, he takes pleasure in you. You have incredible worth as a child of God. Mm-hmm. And that's one way we need to remind and gospel each other. Mm-hmm. Lastly, Ephesians 1.18 into verse 23 says this, and it's highlighted his incomparably great power. If you think I just don't have any power, not able to contribute or do anything, Paul uses every word imaginable right here to describe that. This amazing power, incomparably great power, we get in the NIV. I've read he's basically using the word hyper plus mega plus the word that we get our modern English word dynamite, power. Hyper mega power. (laughs) Oh yeah, hyper mega dynamite power towards us who believe. Yeah, that inspired me. Hyper mega dynamite power. Power. Everyone who viewed my slideshow before sees where this is going. It it does remind me of a clip that I want to play to make a point. I'm gonna try. If the slideshow doesn't work out, I can reenact it, no problem. We usually finally get us hooked. Hey Joe, how do you feel about that one? It looks nice. Yeah, it looks pretty sweet. It looks awesome. It's, it's, it's incredible. Alright, that's it. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> it looks sweet. It looks awesome. Or, yeah, it looks nice. <laughs> Hyper mega dynamite towards us who believe. And so if you've watched Napoleon Dynamite as many times as I have, you're from Idaho, Anthony. (laughs) You lived there. (laughs) I see Crystal with the same reaction, like, what does that have to do with Idaho? (laughs) It takes place in Idaho, okay? (laughs) I think it's around Caldwell or somewhere like there. I forget. Yeah, does it? (laughs) No. I forget the town. I forget the town. He's distancing himself. <laughs> Where's James? I need James. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hyper mega dynamite towards us who believe. That's how Paul describes it. If Apostle Paul was there in that goodwill, he would say, Man, Pedro, it's sweet. 
It's excellent. It's incredible. And sometimes, though, we get caught just acting like Pedro, and, well, it's, it's nice. <laughs> towards the gospel, towards this power, towards us who believe. Let's not be like Pedro. <laughs> it's the power that spoke the universe into existence, that breathed life into humans, that spoke fire through the prophets, parted the Red Sea, rained bread from heaven, shut the lion's mouths, healed the sick, rose the dead, it's hyper-mega-dynamite power infused into those who believe. Power that will resurrect you on the last day as well. If God is for us, who can be against us? The one who is in you is greater than the one in the world. Saoirse reminds me of this all the time because she'll be doing a simple task, um, <laughs> like tying her shoe, and then she'll get frustrated and go, I can't do it, <laughs> and throw it down. Probably once a day. And it's something super simple where she just can't see the easy solution or the truth that's right there. And I just have to help her and say, well, just let me help you. <laughs> let me help you see it. And it's often something so simple right in front of us as well. And God probably views us in the same way. Like it's so simple, it's right in front of you. Just let me help you. Because there is that power towards us who believe. It's a power that can conquer your sin. A power that can soften a heart. power that can repay a relationship. A power that can empower you to break that habit. You do have that power. You do have worth. You do have hope. You can change, according to Ephesians chapter 1. And that's how Jesus' kingship is beneficial. But you have to open your eyes to it. This is the classic illustration, if you've ever heard of Florence Chadwick, or maybe you've heard of uh, just this specific race before. It's so inspiring. And not a race, actually, just a record. She swam the English Channel both ways, and then she was going from, you know, down in California from Catalina Island. 22 miles, this is in 1952. She wanted to attempt to swim from the island to the mainland. And it was a foggy day. And her mom is in the boat beside her. She says, Mom, I can't do it. There's too much fog all around me. And she gets in the boat. And it turns out she was only a half a mile from the shore. She's sitting on 22 and a half miles. So a few months she goes back. And going back, she visualizes the shore in her mind, is what she tells everyone. To all the reporters, she said the first time, it's because I couldn't see the shore. And the second time she goes back, she visualizes the shore and she makes it. She tells all the reporters, it's because I had it in mind. That it was just going to be right there through the fog. Same fog, different mindset. Mental picture of the shore ahead and she made it. So guys, I hope these truths, when you see everything lived in the gospel by Jesus... When, when you heard all that good news just shared this morning about how the Holy Spirit is working in our lives, when you forget every spiritual blessing that is available to us who receive Christ, let these truths, these gospel benefits cut through the fog and remind you of who you are and where you're going and how we'll be united with him one day. Ask God to open your eyes to the hope of his calling, 
His glorious inheritance in us, his incomparably great power for us who believe. Those are the gospel benefits to King Jesus, but we need to remind one another of them. Amen, church? Well, the greatest thing we can remember is his sacrifice on the cross. Let's go to him in a word of prayer. Father God, we just had a fire hydrant of truths. Um, and Lord, the greatest truth is the power you made available to us when you sacrificed yourself on the cross so that we could have this resurrected life, this kingdom life, this renewed life of image bearing of the glory of your son. So God, as we take this bread representing his body, juice representing his blood, I pray that we remember not only his sacrifice, but every benefit that he won on the cross, Lord that he has the ultimate victory, that we can have this sonship, this adoption, this salvation, this grace. God, I pray that can be lavished upon us and that we can lavish it upon one another this week, that others may know that you are our king and that they have benefits because Jesus is our king. In Jesus' name, amen.